0: Well, good morning. It just dawned on me, I was thinking here, I've thought before about it, but I'm looking across the auditorium at the cross. The cross full of names that many of you put there. Uh, If you remember, it was just a year ago that we worked through the whole who's your one um, emphasis. And uh, many of you, took one person that you committed to pray for and then pursue by God's direction, by God's grace, by God's power, asking God to open doors to save that one. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I would ask you this morning, if you have a name there, are you still praying? Are you still praying? Uh, investing remember our outreach strategy pi squared pray invest invite so are you still praying for that one are you still seeking to invest in that individual's life are you still ready to or have you already invited them maybe out to coffee maybe to mcdonald's hard to find a place where you can sit down and and talk together crispy cream they're open you can go inside and sit down and have a cup of coffee sorry scott starbucks doesn't do that yet but um, anyway there's a place whatever it is invite them into your home don't forget your one continue to cry out to god for that one that god placed on your heart and uh, I, I I wanted to remind you of that. Now, as we begin this morning, you should all have received one of these half sheets, um, an overview of future events. I leave that, put that together uh, for you. Um, we've used it in the past, but I wanted to get that back out because we'll be talking uh, specifically today about the first emphasis on the last things, on future events, uh, eschatology, and uh, we won't be spending um, a a tremendous amount of time this morning talking about that, but this will help give some direction, tuck it away uh, somewhere where you have it with your notebook, in your Bible, and so that because you have it, can make reference to it, because we will be using it uh, again Uh, down the road as we make reference, be looking for references to eschatology, to future events, to the rapture, and uh, all that that involves. We'll mention some of that this morning. So this summer, the summer of 2021, right, this was supposed to be my 50th high school reunion. Now actually it is 50 years, that hasn't changed, but the reunion, well that's another story. And uh, one of the individuals in our class uh, from 50 years ago put together a website and keeps everybody up to date and has everybody joining in and and, uh, Scott a year ago got me on Facebook so we could do those lunch moments that we did, you remember those? And uh, we're doing those for a while, and uh, as a result, that's the only other thing is my 50th high school reunion Facebook thing, page. I don't know what you even, I guess page, because um, I don't do Facebook. So if you've invited me and I have ignored you, don't be offended. I just don't do that, really. And uh, I'm not interested, but I am interested in my 50th Reunion, I'm interested in those that I went to high school with. And, uh, you know, reunions create amazing opportunities for the all-time favorite pastime, popular, the most popular pastime of many of us, and that is simply reminiscing, right? Reminiscing. Do you like to reminisce? Yeah, we do. Reminiscing is a very positive thing. It's an enjoyable thing. Uh, we, we think about that. A lot of reminiscing would have been going on this summer or whenever they decide, if they ever decide to have our 50th reunion and get together. But we think about, we talk about our favorite teachers and uh, and those that were not so favorite, right? We remember them, but that's still in a positive sense. We remember the negatives. Uh, we talk about lunch in the cafeteria and all the great things that would happen there. We would talk uh, not the food, you know, usually. Although I still talk about those little milk cartons. I don't know how big they are, I don't know how many, you know, they're about that. They're square. They, I don't even know if they still make them anymore. But they were like two cents a piece, and I remember when they went up to two and a half cents a piece, and we thought, what? Is this kind of inflation here? Uh, But you could get two for a nickel. What a deal. But that, you know, I remember that reminiscing. Hey, do you remember that song? And we would go on. And everybody has their favorite song they would talk about. Uh, What about the time that we... Do you remember when so-and-so did that? Or do you remember when the principal got on the loudspeaker and said... And we go on and reminisce about that. We, we've talked about, I remember some of our football games. And we would go to those games and always the east-west. I lived in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and there was an east and a west. I went to east. The class of 71, second to none, 71. Yeah, that was our uh, motto or something. I don't know. And, and so we talked about the East-West games. I remember they'd play in the cafeteria the, the Friday before the big game with West. In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. Because it was Cherry Hill Lions. We were the cougars. And so we would do that. The lion sleeps tonight. And oh, man, we had a blast with that. And after the game, we would always go to Dairy Queen. The place was packed. And enjoy that reminiscing, indulging in enjoyable recollection recollection of past events, right? Thinking about, talking about those memorable moments in our past. Let me ask you this morning, when you stand before Jesus one day, to give an account of all that you have done for him since you were saved. Will you be able to indulge in enjoyable recollection of the past? Let me put it another way. Will your service for God be something about which you would want to reminisce? Open your Bibles with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to finish chapter 3 today, Um, I I think. (laughs) That's the plan. Uh, But chapter 3, and uh, then we have one more chapter still on the theme of unity. The first four chapters on unity. And uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we started this a couple of weeks ago, and I want you to see in First Corinthians chapter 3, all of it, where we started back at chapter 1, four pictures that, when acted on, will lead our church to unity. Paul intended these four pictures to bring about unity in the church in Corinth. We've already talked about two of those pictures, and uh, we looked at them a couple of weeks ago. The first picture, you remember this, these pictures right babies charles spurgeon says fighting sheep are strange animals and fighting christians are self-evident contradictions in other words there's no place no place for sheep fighting in scripture there's no practical place for god's people for fighting christians that's a self-evident contradiction Uh, For self-assertive people, for divisive people, for disagreeable people, for quarreling Christians, no place in Scripture. And I put it this way, if I could sum all of that teaching up on baby Christians, and we're talking about believers who have been saved long enough to know better. Believers who have been saved long enough that they should be mature. They shouldn't be still referenced to as baby Christians. But spiritual immaturity will always cause disunity. Always. It's just part of what that kind of characteristic does to us. Spiritual immaturity. Christians who continue to act Like babies, like newborn believers. We don't have a time frame on that. But it really has nothing to do with time. It just as we grow, you can be mature as time moves on. We must grow up. We as mature believers need to be hearers of the word, yes. But as James says also, doers. Two aspects. And sometimes we forget the doer part of it. We get the hearer part. We're all about that. But James says, don't just be hearers of the word. You must be doers. In fact, Jesus himself in the parable of the wise man and the foolish man talked about it. That's what that's about. It's hearing and doing. And he said, it's a fool who hears and knows but doesn't do anything about it. It's the wise man who does, who obeys the truth of the Word. And that's why we said this a couple of weeks ago. Spiritual maturity is most clearly seen in our lives, not in what we know, but in how we treat each other. We may know a whole lot, doesn't mean we're mature. Because if we're not doing, if we're not obeying, if we know... That we had to treat each other, all the one another's in scripture that had to do with the church, if we know all about it but don't do anything about it, that is not spiritual maturity. And so, grow up is what Paul is saying here. The first picture, second picture, that of a field. The field, Paul says in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 3, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Verse 6, he says, I planted the seed. And here's the farmer emphasis, the field. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But only God who makes things grow. Now God uses the planter, God uses the waterer, God uses the cultivator, the weeder, if you would. God uses us to do different tasks, but it is God who gives the increase. It is God who makes people grow, and our primary primary loyalty must be Be to God and not people. And that was the problem. And that's why Paul is saying, listen, it's not about us. It's not about teachers. It's not about leaders. It's about God because he makes people grow. When we focus on the leaders or teachers that God has placed in the church, either for credit or blame, either way, when we focus on that, we've missed our purpose. We've forgotten God's mission for the church. Leaders and teachers are simply servants. Only God makes things grow, and it must be all about God. We talked about babies needing to grow up. Here, the picture of the field ought to cause us to look up because it is God who makes things grow. John mentioned in the song this morning that the, the, we lift up our eyes, we lift our That's the idea, we look up. We are aware of, conscious of living because of God who makes us grow. We will never struggle with unity when our eyes are on God. This morning we're going to look at two more pictures. Pictures that Paul uses to build the case for unity. So there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, or chapter 3, excuse me, verse 9. Follow with me as, as I read, starting at verse 9, 1 Corinthians 3. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, we just mentioned that, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. It is, if it, what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss But yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flame. So what's the picture? What do you think is the picture there? What word did you notice as you read those verses? Word or word group over and over again. Actually, I think it's seven times in those four or five verses. What's the word? What's the picture? Building, absolutely building, right? Look at it here. Here, for we are coworkers. Verse nine in God's service. You are God's field. We saw that last. God's building, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build. There's four with care. For no one can lay any foundation which we could say that has to do with the building on other than the one I already laid, which is Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, stubble, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, we'll get to that, we'll bring it to light. It'll be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. Yes, the building is the picture. And as we see in Scripture... That's where we saw you are God's field back in verse 9. You are God's building. What's he talking about? The church. The church, you, we are God's field. The church, you, we, all of us are God's building. Those of us who know Jesus Christ since the day the church began... Back in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, the church began the building. That's us. And that's the picture that Paul is painting. God's building is the church. And here's the main point of this section of verses. Verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Someone else is building on it. What he, But, here we go. Each one should build with care. doesn't say if you build, build with care. It says each one should build with care. Another translation, New American Standard says it this way. But each person must be careful how he builds. That's the idea of building with care. How he builds. Verse 11 tells us there, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, verse 12, if anyone builds, if anyone builds on this foundation. Who is the someone else in verse 10? Who is the anyone here in verse 12? Because those are the builders that we're talking about. Well, who are they? Well, in the context. Paul's talking about himself and Apollos and others who were building the church, who were the leaders, who were the teachers. That's who he's talking about. But I don't think we need to limit that work to just the teachers or just the leaders of the churches. Because elsewhere in Scripture, in fact, specifically Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 11 and 12, when Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus and he says to them, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, Christ gave gifted men to the church. So that's what he says. Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, Why did he give them to the church? To equip his people, to prepare his people. That's the other members of the building, of the body. He changes illustrations here or pictures, but he's talking about the church to build, to equip, to train. God's people for works of service, to equip, to prepare, to train God's people to do the work of the ministry. You see, if you're not careful, you could read that verse and think that it was the Prophets and apostles and evangelists and pastor teachers that were to do the work. No, no, no. They are the ones that are to equip, to train God's people so they do the work of the ministry. We together are to build. Now that building takes different forms and different shapes and different kinds of gifts. But the idea here is God Intended the church to be built up by the exercising of the gifts of God's people. So I don't think... I, yes, primarily I believe in 1 Corinthians 3. We're talking about the leaders and teachers. But there are also leaders and teachers who we would call, in today's language, lay people. Non-paid pastors or teachers. That certainly would be using... Remember... 1 Corinthians is about unity. So what does this have to do with unity? Chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are about unity. And so in the context here, what's going on? Well, unity happens when builders are all about doing the work of the ministry. When you who are gifted to do so are teaching or leading... When you are doing the work of the ministry and focused on building the body. Paul says at the end of verse 12, so that the church is built up, so that the body is built up. We would say so that the building is built up. That would be qualitatively and quantitatively. As people are saved, as they come to know Christ, because we're sharing the gospel, the church will grow. That's a quantitative building up. But is it we mature and, and know more about what God would have for us and learn more of His Word as we become more like Jesus, as we who are holy people, 1 Corinthians 1 2, become holy, right? We are already declared to be holy. Now we're called to live holy lives. And that's the quality of the growth of the church. But let's keep moving because as Paul continues on, verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, their work... It is a singular word there, not works, their work, their work of building the church. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. What is this? What's going on in these verses? What in the world is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. Now, I don't want this to become an eschatology lesson today. A future event, a last things. I recognize that 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 has become more on your radar screen these days because we look around and see all that's going on. And I've heard it numerous times. I'm sure you have too. Oh, man, the Lord's return must be near well, what are we talking about? Well, the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, if anyone builds, Paul says, their work will be shown for what it is. This is the, about the how that was mentioned in verse 10. Be careful how you build. And it is the how that we will be giving an answer to, an account for when we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. Say, so now when is this? When is that day? Well, that's what he says. This day, the day will bring it to light and test the quality. What day? It's not the day of this or the day that that. It doesn't give a, It says the day. Well, we've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. And there are many times that that term is used as it relates to future events. And uh, I would look back... To chapter 1. Keep your place there. But you see we've already touched on a little bit of eschatology. When we were back in chapter 1. And verse 7. Verse 7 of of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul said this. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. Notice as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Talking some future day. Right? Right? Look at verse 8, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul's talking about believers and where are they as he's talking to them? What's he, where would they be at this point? Still on the earth, right? Still here. On the, Why? Because so you will be blameless. He will keep you firm. You are eagerly waiting. We're still here. Just like right now. And he says, but on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8. Now this is not, it's the same day, I believe. Same day there in verses 7 and 8 that we find here in chapter 3 and verse 13. It's not a day of judgment, folks. Not a day of judgment. You see, our sin has already been judged. Right? Our sin was judged at the cross. When we trusted Jesus Christ, we were made. He was made. Jesus was made sin for us who knew no sin that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Our sin, we've been made righteous. Our sin has been taken care of. It has been judged at the cross. Jesus took our sin on him in my place on the cross. He died for me. It's not a day of judgment. Therefore, it's not what scripture refers to as the day of the Lord. Um, you'll see throughout the Old Testament especially, but certainly then again mentioned in the New Testament when it talks about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, I believe, begins with the tribulation. It's a day of judgment on the nation of Israel and all those on the earth at that time as well. That's when the tribulation begins. Nor is it the second coming of Jesus. You say, well, wait a minute, You just said Jesus is revealed. Well, that's the rapture. And and we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. That's when Jesus comes back to take the church to be with him in heaven. But Jesus doesn't come to earth. We meet him in the clouds. At the second coming of Christ, which happens at the end of the tribulation, Jesus will come and we will be with him then when he comes to this earth. What we call the second advent or the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, at that time, we'll already be with Jesus. We will return with him. So this cannot be the second coming of Christ. This is the rapture, the any moment, imminent return that we are waiting for right now for Jesus to come again. Huh? (laughs) Woo! If you're not ready for the rapture or waiting for the rapture, there's, there, I think, one of two things. Now, maybe there's more than that. But I think, think of two things right off. Number one, you're just not knowledgeable enough to understand that. Or number two, you know it, but your life isn't such that you want them to come back right now. Because you haven't been living your life in a way that would please God. I want you to check out some scriptures i'm not going to take the time to go through them all romans chapter write these down check them out later on romans 14 10 philippians 1 9 to 11 1 john 2 28 it's basically the same emphasis that paul shares in 1 corinthians chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 talks about being ready 1 John talks about not being embarrassed or ashamed before him when he comes again. Why would that be? Because we weren't ready. Because our life wasn't what we would say a mature Christian. Same thing in Philippians 1. Romans 14.10 talks about the judgment seat of Christ. And look at the context so you understand all of that. But here we are, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. And here, here we go. Paul wrote this. Remember, he's still a different letter, 2 Corinthians. He's still writing to the church in Corinth, and he's still writing about the same thing. And he says here, verse 9, So we make it our goal to please Him. Who? Jesus. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You say, well, there's the bad. I I thought you said this wasn't a judgment of sin. Well, it's not. Actually, the word bad there means simply worthless. Worthless. We live our lives and we're caught up in things that don't amount to, as my dad used to say, a hill of beans. I don't know where that came from, but we know what that means, right? Doesn't amount to anything. It's worthless. It doesn't do anything to further the cause of Christ, it doesn't do anything to build the church. The building isn't growing. The body isn't growing. The field isn't growing. Why? Because what those bad things are, are worthless. It doesn't help God's work. It doesn't accomplish the mission of the church on this earth. Now, let me just share with you a chart. And... Um, this is would be similar to the sheet the half sheet that you have but an overview of future events we'll we'll get this uh, we'll figure it where to get this out for you if you'd like to see that have that um we can get it on our website for you but an overview of future events we start the church age down there which after the cross the church began The cross could only begin, or the church can only begin because of Jesus' work on the cross. All right? Then the church age ends right here with the rapture. That's what we're talking about today. You do realize that nothing going on in our world today has anything to do with the fulfillment of Scripture as it relates to Jesus' return at the rapture. There's nothing that has to happen before the rapture can happen nothing if there was it wouldn't be imminent it wouldn't be any moment but that's what scripture teaches the t- text of verses that we always read at funerals 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18 and uh, th- that that uh-huh. Jesus is coming for us to take us to be with himself and that's the rapture right after the rapture is the judgment seat of Christ See, notice Christ comes down. We go up in the clouds. We meet him in the air. other That's different than the second coming of Christ because we have the judgment scene of Christ, seat of Christ sometime soon after the rapture occurs. In heaven, when we're with him, our works will be revealed for what they are, either good having been of value to accomplishing God's mission on this earth since we've been saved, or bad, worthless, Worthless. Then the marriage of the Lamb, and then the second coming of Christ. Now we know that happens before the second coming of Christ because the references to the second coming in Revelation talk about us already being adorned with the clothing. That is necessary that we've gotten in heaven, that we come back as the, as the marriage, as the bride of Christ and we return to the earth at the end of the tribulation period and then the millennium and so forth. The great white throne judgment is where people of all ages who don't know Jesus Christ will ultimately be sent to the lake of fire. Satan himself will be there. Lake of fire. Now, That's a brief overview. We could talk about this for a year. (laughs) But just understand something, folks. As I said, I want to say it again. There is nothing, any prophetic event that the Bible tells us about that must be yet fulfilled or completed before Jesus can come again at the rapture. Nothing. That's why we say, He could come before we finish here this morning. He could come before we have put our head on the pillow tonight. He could come before you get up tomorrow morning. He could come before the men's retreat next weekend. Why? Because nothing has to happen. No prophecy yet has to be fulfilled before Jesus can come again. At the rapture. Okay? Think it through this half sheet will help you to at least see it and you can check out scripture and compare notes in your bible but we're talking about this what's the whole point of all this well after that happens 1 corinthians chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 we read if what has been built survives in other words if it didn't get burned up because this is all going to be tested by fire now again this is metaphor it's not fire is going to be burning it's, it's the way our works will be tested for the quality and if the quality is of such that it survives the fire it will receive a reward verse 15 if it is burned up the builder will suffer loss yet will be saved even though there's only one escaping through the flames you know what that's a picture of that is not a picture of somebody going to hell because we're talking about believers here that's a picture of a wasted life person came to know Jesus Christ but had nothing left to show for how he lived his life for the glory of God for the cause of Christ on this earth saved life but a wasted life it'll be burned up it's one escaping through the flames that's what Paul's talking about so what's the point as this relates to unity unity comes when we build up the church Unity comes when we build up the church. You see, when our focus is on the message of the cross, Jesus Christ and him crucified, when we are building up the church, you know what? We we don't have time for division. We don't have time for quarreling. We don't have time for disagreeing. And that's the whole point. Paul is saying unity comes when we build up the church when we're following through with chapter 3 verse 8 with the one purpose that all teachers and all leaders and that we as builders of the church are committed to do and then the fourth picture just real quick 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 and and you'll see it you'll hear it a temple a temple Look at verse 16, 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. What in the world is Paul saying here? Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Again, it's another picture of the church. And, and, and what you understand here, you yourselves, plural, he's talking about the church, that you, the church, are God's temple. Together are God's temple. Now, we as individuals are also the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God individually. But all together, of course, together we are God's temple. God's church, the dwelling place of God, the Spirit, God's Spirit dwells in your midst. He is in the church. Why? Because the church is made up of those who know Jesus. The church is made up of individual dwelling places, temples of the Holy Spirit of God. So that's what he's saying. If anyone destroys God's temple, what's he talking about? The church. If anyone destroys the church, why would he be talking about this? Because there were problems in the church at Corinth. There were people trying to create disunity to divide the church, to hurt the church. And it wasn't just over teachers and leaders. So we go through the rest of the book, we'll see more incidences of where there was division, where divisive people quarreling, disagreeing at one another, fighting sheep. It's a self-contradictory thing. But the problem, Paul's saying, if anyone seeks to destroy God's temple, how? By creating disunity, by creating division, by acting in a divisive manner. What? God will destroy that person. Well, I have to tell you, I'm not sure what, I, what that means. Except I don't want to be at the other end of that. Why? For God's temple is sacred. You know what that word sacred is? Takes us right back to chapter 1, verse 2. We've been declared holy. Same word. You could just read, God's temple is holy. God's temple is sacred, and you together, we are God's temple. And anyone who tries to divide. Bring disunity to the church. God will destroy that person. Now the word destroy here. Doesn't mean annihilate. Doesn't mean to totally do away with. It means to ruin. To damage. To corrupt. And that's what those who would be bringing division into the church would be doing they would be leading the church away from holiness of life that's why Paul says God's temple is sacred those who are divisive are leading the church away from holy living so when we say God's people must be holy must be who they already are right that's what we're talking about division leads away from holiness that's critical. So when we talk about people who destroy God's temple, people who create division. See, that's, that's, why this is, that's why Paul's teaching this in this, these whole chapters on disunity because that's what it does. The lack of unity will destroy a church. It will mar the church. It will hinder the church. It will ruin the church's ability to be all that God intended it to be. Now, Jesus told us that he would build his church. Nothing will stop. The gates of hell can't stop that. But while this church is on earth, we can certainly make a mess of it so that people don't want anything to do with it. That's what we're talking about. Listen, God... Takes unity seriously. And here's the fourth statement that I'll leave you with God's temple is sacred. I was going to put in there for this, and it, either what, God takes unity seriously. He hates division, He hates disagreement, He hates quarreling. So what, what do we do now? What is our response to what Paul says? Well, would you be reminiscing if the judgment seat of Christ were to take place tonight because Jesus Christ came back this afternoon? Would you be looking back on your life for God in an enjoyable recollection of all that you or I have done to build the church? That's what Paul's talking about here. And, and he says that the, the last few verses there, it really verses 18 to 23, are a conclusion. He's repeating what he's talked about in verses 1 and 2. So do not deceive yourselves. See, and we can do that, especially as it relates to division. We think we're doing fine. We're think, we don't think we're that grumpy or that disagreeable or that divisive. And yet, that's why Paul says, don't deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you become wise. Remember, that's what Paul talked about. And he goes on and he talks about that same wisdom and that same foolishness. But let me just take you to verse 23. And you are of Christ. You are of Christ. We all are of Christ. Talk about a picture of unity. And when we understand, how how would we remember? Because we're looking up. We're looking up. And when we're looking up, we understand that we're all, the body, the building of Jesus Christ and let me just say to you the unity of heritage is your responsibility every one of you who are part of this local body of believers the unity of heritage is your responsibility in fact let me say in another way do not destroy the unity of this church You say, that sounds like a threat. Well, that's what God said. Why? Because He'll destroy you. He said, don't destroy God's temple. That's us. Do not destroy the unity of this church. And let me tell you then step up. Step up. Grow up. Look up. Build up. And step up. What do you mean? Take the responsibility. It's our responsibility. Don't tolerate divisive people around you. Talk to them. Galatians 6.1 You who are spiritual. Seek to restore them. Step up. Father. Wow. I, I know that this is some heavy stuff. God, help us to understand how much you hate division. That you take unity seriously. That you've warned us not to destroy God's temple, not to destroy the church, the building, the body of Christ. Oh, God, I pray that you would unite us around the message of the cross of Jesus crucified for us. God, help us to proclaim that great truth for the glory of God. Help us to stand together. Help us to make that the one thing, the one purpose that we live for. To know Christ, to make him known. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.